I'm cowering in fear. They have kicked in. I can hear paranoid voices resonate in my bones. All of them. All of the voices in all of my bones. I have many bones. I can feel the sweat start to collect on the back of my neck. I feel sick. I hope that will pass. My eyes flinch and shunt from side to side. The walls are closing in, or expanding outward, or breathing. I'm not quite sure at this point. I am sure that one of the voices is John Lennon. He keeps talking about strobic dimensional frequencies and asking if I want an apple. Jesus keeps telling me I'm not wrong for being myself, but his dad is pissed. The back of my throat is rough-grade sandpaper. I don't want to contemplate what's upstairs. It took me three tries to write that last sentence. Time is starting to go a little wonky. The clock seems to be stuck, rather odd for a digital. The numbers look like a face. It's either in pain or laughing. I think upstairs is wondering why I keep screaming, What's so fucking funny? I don't care. I do care. I think I've transcended something. I am elsewhere. I am in a nowhere place. John Lennon and some other thing's voice are telling dirty jokes and smoking in Heaven's restroom. My chest hurts. I look down and poke at me. I find that the world has replaced my heart and the pain is its rotation on an axis. I see a man and a woman standing at the opposing ends, north and south. I crane my neck trying to get a better view, but the man flips me off. The woman turns around and mutters something about me being a pervert. I blink. Nothing happens. I blink. Something happens. I blink. Everything happens. I twist and bend as I feel my curiosity create a space-time distortion. I'm living between seconds. I look down at the liquid mirror. I dip my hand into it. All my thoughts, memories, and very being are dripping off my fingertips like molten wax. I taste me. I taste bittersweet like heartache on the perfect summer day. I taste adrenaline and tears. The world turns faster in me. I know what I have to do now. I tear the world out of me and replace it in the cosmic stew. It doesn't look quite right. I wrench one of my eyes out to make the moon. Now I can watch creation while I dwell in it. I realize I'm still in my room. My lungs fill with jagged gasps as I suddenly remember how to breathe. I wonder if this is kind of the thing that Oppenheimer felt when he did all of those weird occult shit at the Los Alamos test site. I wonder if he really trapped God in his own creation. I wonder what God's up to. I wonder if I could have whittled this piece down to eight words. I'm all fucked up on big red pills. I spend the remainder of the night beating back spiders with a rolled up magazine. They were made of pretzel with cigarette legs. That was For the Love of Drugs. I'm Doug, and this is Mr. Wright. This is an epilogue episode. This is where I answer listener questions. So I have a few culled from Twitter and Facebook and email. One of the listener, I guess, requests would have been to read Love of Drugs, which was the original piece I was going to read for the Psychedelica episode, I'll Have What He's Having, but I ended up reading something else. So we'll just get right into the listener questions. There's only four of them this time. The first one is, someone wanted to know more about getting word economy. And I made some notes about uh, how I do that. One of the ways is by using my 
Microsoft Word onboard or Mac OS onboard thesaurus and dictionary. I look up, you know, a word and I see maybe a different word that might be shorter or more to the point that eliminates three words around it. Uh, same with a thesaurus. Um, looking at different words, I might be able to restructure a sentence to make it shorter, more compact, uh, more impactful. And I can also do, uh, my note says, literally cutting apart sentences, which is literally just unpacking a sentence and going, what words are superfluous? What can I lose? Once again, this whole phrase, can I find a word in the dictionary or a thesaurus that can take out an entire phrase with just one word? I wish I had an example of that off the top of my head, but I don't. And it's something that, uh, in terms of word economy, I'm going to talk a little bit more uh, about word economy later when I get to a second question, but those are just a few ways you can really deal with word economy. Um, I will talk about some influences of, in poetry later that have excellent word economy, such as uh, Amy Hempel. Um, but in terms of prose, I would say Chuck Palahniuk, anyone who comes from um, a minimalist school of writing, very much so. Now, Chuck Palahniuk has gotten very verbose in his later novels, but if you look at his earlier work, such as Invisible Monsters, Fight Club, or Survivor, everything's very truncated, very short, to the point. Um, it's flowery, but not overly verbose. Now, I do bring up Polonic because there's a little sub-note on this that says Polonic versus Kadri. Now, I'm talking about Chuck Polonic, as I just mentioned, and Richard Kadri, the writer of the Sandman Slim series. It's so funny to compare these two because when they use metaphors, Polonics are very short, to the point, uh, whereas Kadri's a bit more wordy, but it's a bit more impactful, I've noticed. So you can always compare, like again, writers. Now, there's nothing wrong with, I wouldn't say bad word economy, but um, if you have something to say and you need seven words to say it, fine. If you want to do it in three or four, great. It's up to the piece and up to you to decide what you know your needs are in terms of getting your point or your dialogue across. As a segue, I will just jump into the next question that was asking about my poetry influences. I don't didn't really talk a lot about that on the Accidentally on Purpose episode in which I talk about writing poetry uh, very early on. Uh, my big ones would be uh, Walt Whitman, Charles Bukowski, and I'm heavily influenced by his prose as well, but uh, Bukowski's Poetry is just raw and gritty and bleeding on the page. Um, Whitman is just, his word choices, his um, painting a word picture, his imagery, I, I think is unmatched by any other, any other American poet. Amy Hempel, I talked about briefly before, uh, Amy Hempel comes from the minimalist school of writing, and uh, her uh, books of poetry are just immaculate in terms of word economy, uh, imagery, getting across an idea in the least amount of words uh, would be Amy Hempel. And then Blake Schwarzenbach, who I know I've mentioned a long, long time ago on the show, uh, he is the uh, singer-songwriter of such bands as Crown of Thorns, Jawbreaker, and Jets to Brazil. And if you want to see literal poetry in motion, 
Uh, I recommend any of Jets to Brazil's albums, uh, Perfecting Loneliness, Four Cornered Night, or Orange Rhyming Dictionary, and just pull the lyrics and look at them, look at them as poems, and they're just amazing. Just amazing. And he's heavily influenced by beat poets, which I'm not a huge fan of. I think Kerouac has his strengths and weaknesses. Um, and Cassidy, I think, was a bit of a hack. That's me. Uh, though I am you know, influenced by, once again, William Burroughs uh, and his cut-up technique. Something else you can use in terms of literally cutting apart sentences for word economy. So th those are some of my poetry influences. Uh, the next one is coming up with show ideas. Um, and in terms of, I originally read this as like show ideas for podcasts, but in terms, of, I think it was in terms of episodes. Now, in terms of coming up with episode ideas, um, and I came up with a new one late last night, uh, that one came out of someone was asking me to create a character for them, which is like asking me to write a hit song or write a, or make a viral video. Uh, they wanted something that really, you know, had some legs on it in terms of outreach and um, viability, I guess I'll say. And I realized that I hadn't done an episode about creating characters. I've done their worlds, I've done their names, I've done their dialogue, but I've never done an episode about creating characters. So I will be doing that in the upcoming months. Uh, in terms of coming up with shows, I mean, once again, it's sudden thoughts where I go, oh, you know, I haven't talked about writing finales or writing sequels. Um, I do sit down when I start getting to the end of my list of show ideas, uh, when I've got like, you know, two or three left, and I start brainstorming. Now, some of it's easy. Um, you know, I'll probably do another season of Black Falls, and that's another four episodes. But then I'll think like, what haven't I talked about? What is something I can do an uh, addendum to? Um, of course, I always usually include an Abyss episode or an epilogue episode if I can. And I'll look back at the pieces that I've got that I haven't read and go, what can I glean from this that I haven't talked about yet? Uh, so there's things like that. Obviously, I still write and I get I ask for advice. And when I get good advice or even bad advice, because you can learn from that, um, I pass it along to you, the listeners on this show. So it comes out of me learning and wanting to then teach you uh, how to be better writers, just as I strive to be a better writer myself. Uh, the last note I've already kind of talked about where the pieces kind of lend themselves to what I'm going to talk about or a topic I haven't broached yet, or like I said, something I want to come back to. Uh, lastly, it's the I talked about on the, I believe it's called the Precipice episode. I had talked about creating tension and I had written a piece about um, a hand of poker. Uh, I talked about creating tension in terms of prose, but I had not talked about creating tension in terms of comics and film, things that are script-based. So I had a question about how to create tension there. The two ways to really do it that I find um, work the best, and in terms of film, I would say lingering silence I know you kind of have to tap dance the line between tension and awkwardness, um, and sometimes that awkwardness can work as tension. But I think letting a scene breathe for a second, and when the characters are interacting and one of them like takes a beat to absorb what's going on, or there's a shock to the system, 
have that beat where you're like, oh my God, how are they going to react? Or what is the other person going to do now? Or what is person A going to do now? Um, you can create that kind of tension. And really, like I said, in terms of, I, I believe it was either in dialogue or uh, working hand in glove with a, another creator, is read your scripts out loud and pause like you would naturally uh, in terms of your dialogue and see if you create that tension. Uh, view it in your head and, and do try to read it to maybe other people and see what they picture because maybe you need to extend a scene to create that kind of tension. You know, I mean, you always have, think of it on, oh, I'm trying to think of a good example in a film of tension. But, you know, when you have the hero climbing something and he's about to fall, there's always that, like, crescendo rise of music, and they keep you on that ledge with the hero for, you know, at least a good probably 20 seconds, 30 seconds before he either drops or climbs up and releases that tension. So think about that in terms of how long can you keep the tension there? How can you create that sense of what is going to happen next? In terms of comics, it's a little, I would say, easier in terms of structure, but harder because you have to do a bit more infrastructure work inside the script, which is the easiest way to create tension in a comic book is to think about how you would read it. Now, I don't mean that in terms of necessarily plotting out, you know, the 30 seconds the hero's trapped on the cliff. You can't really do that. But what you can do is put your cliffhanger or your tension moment at the bottom right-hand corner um, of any page. And that will force the reader to either continue from left to right page or, in best case scenario, have to turn the right page to get to the next left page. It will literally have them on, on a page turner. Um, so that would be how I write tension in comics, is I always kind of put my, any kind of cliffhanger, despite how small or any kind of revelation, uh, will always be on the next page. Um, keep them turning those pages. So those are the questions that I said, uh, like I said, I culled from our social media. Uh, if you have any more questions uh, uh, from now until the next epilogue, episode, please feel free to reach out to us uh, on Twitter at BACN Media, or on Facebook at BACN Podcast, or at info at BACNPodcast.com for email. And remember, you keep writing, they'll keep reading. Right on. If you liked this, check out some of our other shows like Mr. Right, Exotic Liability, and No Applause, Just the Clap. You can find us at www.bacnpodcast.com and by searching for BACN on iTunes and Stitcher. Oh, yeah.